0: Go back two verses, if you would, to verse 34 of chapter 34, just to kind of give us context. (coughs) Excuse me. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whatever the children of Israel saw, whenever they saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. If you remember from last chapter, we saw Mr. Glowy Face and the problem with glory. Today we pick it up then in verse 1 of chapter 35 and we read this. Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together, And he said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath, or a Shabbat of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. And that means he will be definitely resting every other Sabbath from that point on. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and on the breastplate. All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its clasps, its boards, its bars, pillars, its sockets, its ark, the ark, and the poles. With the mercy seat and the veil and the covering. The table and its poles and all the utensils, the showbread Also the lampstand for the light, its utensils, its lamps, and the oil for the light. The incense altar, its poles, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, and the, sweet, the screen for the door of the entrance of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering, with its bronze grating, its poles, its utensils, and the labor space. The hangings of the court, its pillars, their sockets, the screen for the gate of the court. The pegs of the tabernacle, pegs of the court, and their cords. The garments of ministry, for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and for the garments of the sons to minister as priests. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. They came both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, and brought earrings and nose rings, and you thought that piercing your nose was new? Oh, no. Rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold, that is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. Every man with whom was found blue, purple, scarlet, thread, fine linen, goat's hair, red skins of rams, badger skins brought them. Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze, brought the Lord's offering, and everyone with whom it was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun, blue, purple, scarlet, and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. The rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and on the breastplate. Spices and oil for the light, anointing oil for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works to work in gold and silver and bronze, cutting jewels and setting and carving wood and the work of the manner of artistic workmanship. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach. And in him and Aholiab, the son of Ahasimach, of the tribe of Dan, He has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen. And of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. Will you please go to the Lord in prayer with me? Oh, Lord, what a gorgeous chapter. And I'm so excited to see what you're going to do here. I'm so thankful for the opportunity in this time, Lord the opportunity to sit here with my brothers and sisters and know you're going to do fantastic work. So I pray, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit that you immerse me, that I would disappear and that you would appear, that you'd put me on like your jersey. And Lord, in that I pray that you would come upon me in such a way, Lord, that you would speak to every one of our hearts individually today as well as corporately, that every one of us would personally encounter you today, personally encounter you today. And in that, Lord, we would hear what we need to hear. There are areas, Lord, for some here in this room, they are craving a word from you today. They are craving to be stirred today. They are craving to encounter you in a way, Lord, that they could say, wow, I met God today. Lord, meet them there and go beyond their expectation to something even greater. But there are those today, Lord, who are trying not to hear, Lord, what you want to tell them. Today, break through that, Lord. Pull their fingers out of their ears. Soften their hearts. For every one of us, Lord, speak not just where we want you to speak, that's the point, but speak where we need you to speak as well. I pray we would have so much fun in your word that you would color in the black and white. And Lord, we would be in the zone, that you would commandeer our attention. And Lord, with that, Lord, apply this in such a way to each of us that we would be radically changed for the rest of our life. So Lord, if there be any who have yet to know you as Lord and Savior, yet let today be the day of their salvation. But every one of us, Lord, let us take at least one big step deeper into you now. As we commit this time to you, in Jesus' name, have your way. Amen. I would say this afternoon, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Now, it's been quite a while now, you know, we've left Egypt. And when we left Egypt, God took down anything we could have possibly worshipped there. And, and understand, we left there very different than we actually were just three, four months before that. God had given a promise back in Genesis 15. And the promise was this. You will enter into a land and be slaves in that land. And in the fourth generation, you're coming out with blang blang. Now, I don't know about you, but it's one of those cool little mysteries that God says out, these riddles. You are going to come in a slave. Now, if you know anything about slaves, they tend not to be wealthy people. It's the opposite. You are poor. You don't have a right to say anything. They say jump, you do just jump, and you don't even ask how high unless they tell you. And you have been there, and he says, for 400 years, these people were slaves. They were slaves by a nation that feared them feared them because they were greater, they were mightier in many ways, and certainly in numbers. But just like God promised, these slaves, I mean, go back. That would be the year 1613. I think we've been slaves since the year 1613. What would that be like? For me, that would be weirder because America wasn't even a country in 1613. We didn't even exist. Back then, we were making teepees, and that was about it. Now, please hear me. For you to walk out, then, with wealth is a pretty crazy idea, but that's just what God promised. He said, I'm going to ask you to do something crazy. On your way out, knock on the doors of your tormentors and say, can I have that? They'll give it to you. Could you imagine? Which door is the hardest to knock on? Can I dare say the first? Because once you do and you say, hey, that's a really lovely, and they say, take it, which one of you doesn't knock on the second door? So understand, the reason I say that is is that when God starts putting this chapter in implementation, every bit of the wealth that they're handing to God was the wealth that God had given them and they left that country in the first place. Now, here they are. We've been in the wilderness. Moses has been up and down the mountain at least four different times. He has been up on two 40-day and night excursions where he had ate and drank nothing. On the first of them, he comes down with the law, breaks the law at the foot of of the mountain while everyone else is sort of dancing naked around the golden calf, grinds it into powder, makes them drink it, heads back up and says, I'm going to go up and see if I can talk God out of killing you all. Moses has come down the second time. Now that Moses has interceded and he actually demonstrates the heart of the living God, things are a bit uh, pretty radically different because now Moses comes down and his face is glowing. The word that's used there again, by the way, karam, is a word that speaks of shooting out. So it isn't just like he has this little iridescent glow like a pregnant woman might have that glow about her. It's like he's radiating light. And the weirdest part about it is Moses doesn't even seem to notice. But every time Moses goes in to speak with the Lord, this happens now, and he's going to walk out, and his face is glowing, Now, I don't know about you, but does it seem a little strange that anybody's going to actually say then, who died and made you boss? I, I guarantee you they didn't do that at night, because he'd be the only guy glowing. I mean, it would be really strange. What makes you different than everyone else? But see now, Moses has come down the mountain as he's come down the mountain, by the way. He's laid down the law. God has given commandments and he starts to lay them out. And, and, and with that, by the way, on that second, well, the first time he goes up, it wasn't that he went up to receive the Ten Commandments. God had spoken the Ten Commandments while everybody was at the foot of the mountain in the first place, back in Exodus 20. He had gone up to get the plans, the blueprints for the tabernacle. Because see, once God got you out of Egypt, he spends the rest of your life getting Egypt out of you and me and he builds a place and he says look at I'm going to build a specific blueprint which by the way Hebrews tells us is an essence A prototype, if you will, or a mock-up of what you may see in heaven. So it's kind of cool to know this fairly well, because you'll be one of the few people that will be able to actually help people around when they're actually looking at the little map like people do on the underground, you know, and they're like, you know, of course, they have no idea where they're going, just the virtue of them holding the map. And you get to heaven, and everyone's there at heaven, they're looking at the map, and you're like, oh, no, no, I've seen the tabernacle, I can help you with this. I mean, that's kind of the idea here. This particular chapter, though, is one of the most, to me, it's my, one of my favorite chapters in all of the book of Exodus. It's one of my 40 favorites. Um, there are 40 chapters, by the way, in Exodus. Um, and one of the reasons is because this chapter is really where everything changes. And I'll tell you why. Because it whittles down the entire mass to a smaller group of people. And it really is where things start to happen. And it's very enlightening because God now is... And it, it, what we're going to In essence, what we're going to say is this is the implement imperative. It is the necessity of actually not just taking what you hear, but doing something with it. And that's the radical difference. It has been throughout all of Scripture, this concept, and God is laying it out for us one more time here. And here and thus is the danger of church if we're not careful. You're going to get an awful lot of information in the next 40 minutes. Now, if you're new here, you're going, 40 minutes, really? Well, there you go. There's, our, there's your first issue. In that, you can smile and nod, smile and nod, smell the food as it goes by. But unless you do anything with it, it's just more information to basically weigh down your trousers to make it harder for you to walk out of here. And God never intended that. Jesus tells us a story about two, two sons. A father tells him, he's a vineyard owner, and he looks at them and he says to the first, son, go work in my vineyard. And he says, no, dad, I'm not going to do that. And off he goes. He tells his second son, son, go and, uh, and go work in my vineyard. And he goes, sure, dad, that'll be great. The problem is, is as he begins to do, well, as he walks out, he actually changes his mind and decides not to. The first son, on the other hand, feels a sense of remorse at the fact that he told dad no, and he dissed dad, and he goes out and works into the field. And Jesus asks, now which one actually ultimately did what his father asked? And the answer, of course, is the first one, in the sense, the one who actually denied him in the beginning, but ultimately came around. It's interesting, they both heard the information, they both received the commandment, they both, in essence, when one way or another will say yes to it, but only one will do something about it. The entire book of James is built on that. The book of James, by the way, was the one that Martin Luther called an epistle of straw because he was so bent out of shape about it. And it's really kind of simple. It isn't that you have to have faith plus works. You have to have faith that works. That's the whole point of it. You see, there were a lot of people just like today that say, I believe in God. And you can look and go, chirp, 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 chirp. What does that mean? And they're like, well, he's there. I'm like, but if I told you I believed in you, that would be more than me saying you exist, right? James says demons even say they believe that much and they have brains enough to shudder. At least they do something about it. So what has it made you do? Jesus will say after teaching one of the most beautiful sermons that we know, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. At the end of that entire sermon, Jesus then lays it out and he says, now let me tell you this. And we sing the song, but the problem is when we sing the song, we don't even get to what it means you ever, ever seen this one? The wise man built his house upon... Am I the only one who knows this one? That must be an American song. Is that what that means? If I sang it in Greek, would that make a difference? All right. And it's like the whole song is like, the wise man built his house upon... The rock. And then it's like, the rains came down and the floods came up. You know? And then it's like, the foolish man built his house upon the sand, the rains came down, the floods came up, and the house went splash. But then you're like, great, we got the fact that you should not be stupid and build your house on rock. But you don't even know what that means. Right, And unless you're, a, like, unless you're an architect like Ali, chances are you're not going to be like, what difference does it make? But what Jesus says is this. He who hears my word and does it is like a man who builds his house upon the rock. <clears throat> now, on the second man, he says, the foolish man, he doesn't say he who ignores my word. He says he who hears my word and just doesn't do it. Today, you're going to be a, either a foolish man or a wise man when you walk out of here. Or if ladies, if you prefer a foolish or wise lady. But just the same. And the difference isn't going to be whether you hear it or not. The difference is what you're going to do with it. Now, listen to this. Because in this particular chapter, I mean, understand here... There is a project that's about to take place, and it's the biggest project that Israel has undergone because Israel really hasn't been a nation until it was forged in the furnace of Egypt. Now, understand in that God's like, I'm going to use you to change. Look at I'm going to use you to change the world. You, the entire world is going to be totally changed because you exist now. But so I've got this really big plan, and this is just like God. God doesn't think small. He sought up the universe. How small is that? You know, and he just kinda went, let's be, and there it was. I look at this huge plan to change the world. I want to use all of you to be a part of it. So, who wants to be part of this project? Now, at that point, already we can kind of go. It all depends on what is expected of me. Moses is going to come down. As he comes down, he's like, "I've got blueprints here. We've got a tent to make a tent because God wants to go camping with us the entire time we're going to be in the wilderness. God's going to want his tent right in the middle of all of us." We haven't had God dwelling among us since the Garden of Eden. And here he is. He wants to live right in the middle of all of us. Who wants that? And you can see everyone going, I want that. I think I want Do I want that? Well, that's God's blessing. Yeah, I want that. Well, we all want God's blessings. Well, who wouldn't want that? And then we start to go and we start to dig through. And he goes, all right, well, let me ask you something. Let's go beyond that now. It's going to take some things to see this happen. And our natural response is, well, why doesn't God just do it himself? God could have just said, Tent be, and tent could have been. So why did he actually get us involved? Somehow God knows something that, to be honest, if you're a parent, you know too. And that is sometimes it's just awesome to involve the kids because you know, once you get into the middle of it, they're actually going to get something really special out of this. You get the joy of being a part of this. And beloved, please hear me. We're embarking on a fantastic mission here. I believe the Lord wants to transform the entire city of London. Do any of you other than me believe that? Okay, that's two of you I heard. So any of you, okay, thank you. Okay, any of others that really think, I mean, let me ask you, do you really think God wants to save London? And do you really believe that God really wants to raise up four people to totally touch the entire city? No, I don't. I believe God wants to raise up an army of people who are so radically different from the way that London knows London, that London gets changed by the light of Jesus Christ. The problem is, is that every one of us can, if if we're in that, if we're in that zone, we can all agree. The question is, do we really want to agree as a spectator or do we want to agree as a participant? Now look at this text. So God is, in essence, here it is. it is, if you think of it this way, we are on the building site and it's the first day, you are meeting your foreman, who happens to be in this case, for the moment, the overseer, the architect of the whole thing, that's underneath God himself, happens to be Moses, and Moses is there with the plans laid out, and all of you have shown up in hard hats. Now, you know something's about to happen. You know, sort of like the bulldozers and the cats and the cranes and everything are lined up behind us. You know, when we see something that's going to happen and we're all gathered together because we're kind of excited to see something happen. And interesting, what he does here to build this thing is so fundamentally different from any other place you're going to get it. Listen to what he starts with. Verse 1. By the way, through to verse, <coughs> excuse me, through to verse 3. Moses gathered again all of the congregation of the children of Israel together. Now, he had just spoken with God. Now, what kind of condition do you think Moses is in then? He's Mr. Glowy Face. Maybe Mr. Veiled Glowy Face, if he actually remembers to put the veil on. But you've got this guy, and he gathers on all of the people. Now, all of the congregation of Israel, we're going to assume that's going to be roughly 2 million people are gathered together. That's a large group of people. He gathers together and he says to him, now look it. These are the words in which the Lord has commanded you to do. Are you ready? This is what God wants you to do. We're going to start this project. We're going to see this country changed. We're going to watch this world around us transformed. You guys ready? Step one. No work will be done on the seventh day. That's the first place we start. Don't you find that a little odd?" God doesn't pitch how awesome the tent's going to be. He doesn't sort of give you this beautiful, roll film, wait till you see the new community down there in Midian Heights. There's none of that happening at this moment. But instead, God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before we even get started, you need to recognize something right from the get-go. And this is what it is. Written into your writer is the request, the requirement for you to rest with your Redeemer. Before you even get into this thing, you need to already have implemented, before you implement anything else, you need to implement a time set aside with your Redeemer. Because if you don't, you'll get so caught up in doing, you'll cease being. And he makes it, and listen to what he says. I love the way he puts it in verse 2. He says, this seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath rest to me. Do you see that? Listen, a holy day for you, a Sabbath rest for me. This is the way it works. God says, before we even start getting you guys busy, and I start going, hey, you set up the chairs, and I want you playing bass, and I want you singing, and wouldn't it be great if we had a choir, and all of you were part of that? And wouldn't it be awesome if we, if we, we were, you were the evangelism team, and we're going to have, oh, look at how this is going to happen, and we're going to have, oh, check all of this out. Before any of that happens, listen, listen, listen. Before any of that, there needs to be a private personal preservation that is set aside where it's like, look it, it's you and God. You and God. You don't serve the church. You'll never serve the church here because the church isn't to be served. You serve God. And by serving God, when you hand yourself to God, He's going to use you to bless others. The moment you try to serve anything else, you will discover it's faulty and you'll be like, I am so done with that. For 20 years I've had the privilege of serving. And some of you have heard this. This month, 20 years ago, Shoreline Calvary Chapel was planted. The first Shoreline Calvary Chapel on the central coast of California. 20 years this month. Is that crazy? That's because I started when I was seven. Sorry. How many know where liars go? All right. Um, (laughs) um, But please hear me. For, uh, For the entire time I've done this, I have never once not loved what I do. Not for a second. I always, I just... I love what I get to do, but part of it is, can I just say it in the kindest, unkindest way? You're not my problem. You're God's problem. My blessing is to lead you to him, and I know if I could get you to him, he could fix you. You know, the only problem that's my problem, to be honest, is me. I'm my problem. And that's why I want to be bringing me to Jesus, because I know if I bring me to Jesus, he'll fix me too. But hear me in this. If we're going to start this project, beloved, is it set aside and determined already But listen, God says, this is the way I want you to look at it. I want you to look at it as it's a holy time. In other words, this is time set aside for me. That's what it was. But this is the way I'm going to look at it, a time where we rest together. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about what the first Sabbath looked like, but consider it this way. God worked for six days, made you, and then took the next day off. Why do you think that was? He's like, now that you're here, I'm going on a holiday. Let's go walk the garden together. Do you get the idea why he made you in the first place? If you really think at all that the reason why God kind of took the last day off was because somehow that's just to keep you from just dying. He's like, I'll tell you what, you're going to die anyways, physically. He goes, I just want to be with you. And if you don't set that aside, you know this. If you don't set this aside, you don't get to it. Isn't it true? How many of you just know, man, I just wish I could get to that time, that quiet time with the Lord, that time was just set aside. I go on dates with God. Now, that made me look psychotic, but it doesn't bother me. Back in the States, I had a Jeep. That was my prayer closet. Oh, I love that thing for that. Of course, I loved it for a lot of reasons, but that was one of them. And living on the beach, it was kind of nice there. Something you can take the top down, and it was closer. There was nothing between me and him. Anyways, but, you know, but sand as I was kicking it up, driving on the beach. But, uh, but, but hear <laughs> me, um, you just get in and I don't care who's next to me I mean police officers would pull next to me and I'd just be like Lord I just love you and I, what's up all right Lord I just love you please keep me from that being something bad you know and I actually got to meet one of the sheriffs that way and he's like you look like you were praying I'm like yeah and he goes good on you I'm like you pulled me over to say good on you he's like yeah I just thought I'd freak out for a moment first I'm like all right thanks Now look at, he goes, before we even jump into this, and I do believe that, and I'm going to pitch today, and I don't normally do this, but I'm going to just pitch what our vision is so at least you know what you're getting involved if you're jumping in here. It's just threefold. It's not very difficult because I'm not a really complicated person. I think I used to be, and then whatever happened, it's an improvement. But uh, it's to preach, to teach, and to reach. That's it. To preach the gospel, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I don't want to talk to you about a million things, I'll be honest. It seems like the more conversation I have that isn't about Jesus, you'll find something to draw a line between us. If you ask me whether I root for Chelsea or whether I root for, you know, Arsenal or whatever the case is and all that, you know, and I'll just, I'll be honest. I'll be like, is that football? I'm just kidding. i just, I'd like to play. Again. So I just drew a line already, didn't I? Um, I want to talk to you about Jesus because nothing else is going to save you. No one else is going to save you. He died for you on the cross for your sins and he rose again. And that's just the case. And if I want to go out there, I don't care whether you've got, you know, your eyeball is pierced or whether, you know, you actually have a three-piece suit on and you just came out of that giant pickle, you know, down the way. I mean, the bottom line is, whatever, you need Jesus. We all need Jesus. We're all sinners. Every human being is a sinner that is guilty before God and he paid for your price on the sin. Have you said yes to that? Has it been that simple? Has it ever been that simple? It is. Why would God want it to be complicated when he wants to be with you? But if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, and by the way, can I just say this? If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ and you're questioning and you're concerned because you drink, you smoke pot, you do heroin, you're a prostitute, you do whatever, can I just say this? We have somebody in our fellowship and she's kind of a mess physically. Physically. And they give her pain medicine for her mess. And as long as she's a mess, she'll have her pain medicine. But if she were completely healed right now of her, her issues, she wouldn't need the pain medicine anymore. It would be unnecessary. Does that make sense? If you don't have Jesus Christ, you have pain. There's no doubt about it. And, I'm not, I'm not, and look, at, I, can I just say, I don't blame you for running out and trying to find pain medicine. The enemy has no shortage at his drugstore of bad ways to to medicate you. But I can say today, I'm not here to just get you off of your pain meds. I'm here to cure the cause, so you'll never have to go there again. If you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, can I just say, I do blame you. Because you can fill it with Christ instead. And if you fill that hole with Christ, you'll never need that pain medicine. I've said no to so many things since I said yes to Jesus. To be honest, because I just didn't need it anymore. So, preach the gospel. Teach the word straight through. And that's what you'll expect. Any study we have, strangely enough, when you go to a Bible study, don't expect us to actually teach through someone else's book. Because that's not a Bible study. That's something else. You can still do that. I'm not saying that's evil. But if you go to a Bible study, strange as it is, expect us to study the Bible. I know that's weird, right? I mean, straight through. So it'll be like, so you, the question you might want to ask is, oh, it's a Bible study. What book are you on? And what say, Hebrews, Romans, Joshua, whatever it is, that's what we do. Straight through. To preach, to teach, and then to reach. We are, we will never, unless something really, really bizarre happened and God demanded, we will, you'll never see some stranger hired or in any sort of capacity or we don't entertain cvs or any of that kind of thing because the goal is to see every one of you every one of you raised up into service now that doesn't mean here at the church what that means is you raised up to do what god's called you to and to do that to be honest we got to know each other this is not me being the ceo of a co- corporation to be honest i'm just a big brother in our family my dad is still the dad that's the one you want to go to when you need something. My goal in it all is just to be able to encourage you to say, "I've walked with Dad for a while. I know he's trustworthy." Now, having said that, the first thing is, look at if, as your big brother, and might I just say, as your coach for the moment, do you have that? Christians, do you have that? Do you have that time set aside? You know, some of you, this is this is what happens. And, and please, please hear me, because if you're in this situation today, I'm going to push issue with you. God has these ways sometimes. It's like if your life is like, this is you and Jesus, if you know what concentric circles are, this is you and Jesus, and then like here's the next part of your identity. Maybe that's you're married, and then it's you've got kids, and then you work, and then you've got your hobbies, and then you've got your whatever else, right? And sometimes in life God goes, bam, and you're down to this again. And you're like, I don't understand what just happened. I just I was Everything was so nice, and now everything's taken away. And you look like a bobblehead. You're just going, I just don't get it. I just don't get it what do I do? What do I do? And you're like so busy trying to get circles back in your life. But can I say maybe the reason that you're not getting those circles back in your life is because this one's not right yet? It's sort of like, you know what happened? God laid the foundation and you decided you were going to help build the first floor, the ground floor, and it mucked up you're like, oh, support beams. What are those? Who needs those? That's not, That's going to get in the way. Let's just do something decorative. And then the, and the guy goes, bam! And he blows up the house. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa! And the guy goes, let's go back to the foundation where things are good. Some of you, you know, one of the things about London, it's like for most of you, or some of you, it's a pretty fair bet that you moved here from somewhere else, one point or another, and guess what? You're here on, you're here as a student, You're here in some form of great job opportunity or whatever it is. You are here because you were flying to somewhere else and your plane broke down. I don't know what, but here you are. And any time you do that, guess what? You're back down to this again. You're down to this circle. Well, if you're down to this circle right now, could you get this part right first? Before your life gets so complicated, you don't have time for God anymore. Could you imagine telling God that? Right? I don't have time for this anymore. I don't have time for church. I don't have time for, to pray. I don't have time to read. God's like, well, I can work that out for you if that's what you need. And then he'll strip everything away and you'll be angry at him because he loves you and he's jealous. Think about that. Because before we even get any farther, before we even start this project, it begins by demanding that you set aside time, just you and me. And I want it to be holy to you. And I'm going to call it time where we rest together. We just chill that's a safe word god's like it's chill time for us now there's the danger why would god say that because what god doesn't want is for me to actually well now that i'm with you i've just got to do new stuff with you now but to be honest some of my favorite times with my children we're doing nothing but just sitting together because i don't feel like i have to entertain them or i don't feel like we have to conquer the world at that moment at that moment i just want to love them and sometimes it's just nice to breathe the same air For some of us who are natural doers, that's a discipline. Let's be honest. Well, we better move forward if we're going to move forward. Listen, so we start with this. Number one is a personal preservation, a priority to rest with God. Verse four, notice then, and by the way, he says down and he goes like, I don't want any personal fires. Oh, hey, one thing I can say about this, and this is something I'm debating in my own life. And this is verse three. Because he says, not only, look at, I don't want you working. And he goes, if you're working, you won't work anymore. Why? Because you'll die. But, um, but let's go beyond it. He says, I don't want any personal fires. I don't want you lighting a fire in your house. You're thinking, well, how are we going to eat? But can I remind you that every Sabbath you were able to go to the tabernacle or able to go to the temple later and bring an offering. You know the only difference is? You didn't eat it alone. I think this is kind of a pretty radical thought. Think about this. Once a week, you hung out with God, and then something really strange happened. You wanted to break bread. God brought other people into your life to break bread with. You were not allowed to be a lone wolf and hang out with God. Isn't that nice? He's like, you want to eat? And I'm like, barbecue? Let's hook up. And God's like, let's do it once a week. My house. I'm like, all right, Lord, your house. There we go. And it's like, you you bring the offering, and what happens? You bring a a free will offering, by the way. God says, can I take the gross... Uh, Can I take the gross parts you shouldn't eat anyways, unless you're Scottish, and then the rest of it, let's cook it, and then let's hand it out to each other, and let's all eat it together. Could you imagine? Once a week, you know what we did? We set aside time to hang out with God, and then to enjoy each other. Is that weird? Yesterday, you'd like to think, for some of you, you look at Shirley, and she's like, that's not weird, that's just how I live. I'm like, "But that's the way we really should be. This should be more than just going to see a movie and then leaving. You know, in the end of it all, it's like, you know, where you really didn't get to know anybody next to you. Because that could be really dangerous. Man, I love it. And and I want to warn you, if you ever want to come over to our house to eat, you better come with an adventurous mindset. Yesterday, we, I mean, I go find exotic meats and I'm like, let's go do something with it. So we had horse and camel and llama. We had llama burgers and kangaroo burgers yesterday. And we said, which one do you like better? So now, maybe you'll invite us over to yours. Anyway, so... um, or maybe we'll all go out to eat (laughs) so none of us will kindle the fire in our house verse 4 notice now we have the and and we move to our next one Moses spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel and said this is the thing which the Lord has commanded I want you to take an offering now alright how many of you already go and you already are like that's it I'm done and you're eyeing the door checking the clock what's he going to do and I always feel like anytime we talk about this, you have to apologize. But you know what? I've never, I'll be honest, I've never done anything wrong in this area. I have nothing to apologize for. Hey, there are other guys out there. I'm sure there's guys out there that are shoesters, but you know what? I've learned people are like that in any, any arena. I've been ripped off buying a pair of shoes, but I still wear, well, I still wear shoes. And in, the th- in three or four months, I guarantee you, it won't be an option. It's, I'm going to be wearing shoes when I walk out. You've been ripped off in the area of love but you've still gone out to see if there was somebody else out there for you. But listen to this. He doesn't say, and understand, he's going to lay this out for people, dismiss them, and then let them come back. And what's interesting is, not everybody's going to come back. But that's common for Jesus as well. Read John chapter 6. We read, many walk away and no longer follow him. By the way, interestingly enough, that's John 6, verse 66. But anyways, so he spoke to the congregation of Israel and he said, this is the thing in which the Lord has commanded. He's commanded it, so we have to do it. He says, take among you an offering. But notice what he says in verse 5. There is a requirement. He says, whoever is of a willing heart. Don't miss that word. The word there is the idea of a heart. Can I just say there was a yes in their spirit? Now, God has set out some requirements in regards to giving. You're aware that anything this, to, for us to rent this building, it costs money. You're probably aware of that. We live in the most expensive place in the world. There's no doubt about it. But again, you're not giving to the church, and you're not giving to me, and you're not giving to anyone but God. This is what it says, by the way, and I just challenge you, 2 Corinthians 9.7. Listen to this. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly nor of necessity, Grudgingly means God is not going to be blessed if you give because you feel, oh, I'm fine, okay, oh, oh. or out of necessity. Because it doesn't bless God. So the guy's on the air, and he says, Listen, it's seed faith. You know, if you send today, in, you're going to get a hundredfold. And we're going to go off the air today. If you do not sin, we need to raise $10,000. We need to raise $100,000. And I'd think, and my brother was one, who was my pastor, who said, well, if he really believes you'll get a hundredfold if you send in faith, why doesn't he mail a check to someone else for a thousand dollars and they'll get the hundred thousand back? Funny. And here's the point. You never give out a necessity. You better do it, because if you don't do it, you know, we're going to lock the door until we find one thousand dollar champions out there. I tell you what, at that point, you're going to find a few other things, like a paramedic need. I'm just say things are gonna get ugly. We have a box in the back. That's all we have. You can give as the Lord leads you to give. But can I just say this? If you've given your life to Jesus, everything should belong to him. Every pent. Now I'm not telling you every pen goes in that box, I'm not telling you any pen needs to go in that box. Every pen belongs to him. You you threw in a big, massive, fatty check into there, but then you walked out of here and spent the rest of it gambling and on buying prostitutes and going getting wasted. Don't think God's placated by your fatty check. But I'll just say this. As a man, one of the truest proofs that a man really is in love with someone is he takes out his wallet. I'm just going to say. I watch guys and he's like, oh, let me get that for you. I'm like, oh, that guy's smitten. But listen. Whoever has a willing heart, that's what he says here. He says, I'm not asking, and you do not you do not demand every person give, you demand the willing to give. And we're going to see in a moment, that's going to be the difference. There's going to be two sides to this, this side and that side. This side, there's a, there's something that's going to happen, and on that side, there's something that's going to happen too. But again, I'm not telling you here, but I'm saying this, you have the opportunity to invest in whatever the Lord has given you to invest in. There are going to be some things you're going to invest in that are going to go belly up, and there are other things you're going to invest in that are going to bear eternal dividend. You get the choice of what you want to invest in. That's time, that's resources, that's energy, that's efforts, that's gifts and talents. You are going to invest all of those in areas, and some of those areas are going to turn out to be the biggest waste of time you've ever had, that you're going to just land regret, and then there are going to be other areas you're like, wow, this was great. Could you imagine if you could go back in time and buy shares in Apple when it started? back when they were still trying to figure out how to get past Bill Gates. That would have been a good investment from a temporary perspective. But there are greater investments that, by the way, are no fail. Now listen. Let him bring the offering to the Lord, and he says what these things are. Notice they're materials. And I get this idea here, that the second thing he starts to do is here is he starts to call sponsors. The idea, now I want to remind you here, and this is kind of the interesting thing. It's going to be, you know, textiles, it's going to be precious gold and precious metals, it's going to be these precious, you know, jewels, and I get the idea. Remember, this is the only wealth any of you have ever had, because this was the wealth we got from Egypt on our way out, which means we just got it. Could you imagine? Can you imagine? You've been waiting your whole life. You've not even had one of those cheap old, big old, fatty Nokia's, you know? But now all of a sudden you got your first iPhone 5, and God says, I would like that. And you're like, are you kidding me? I just got this thing. I don't even, I don't even, I haven't used four apps on it yet. But that's, can you imagine? There you are. You've been walking around. Now, here's the difference. You've been lugging around. Think about this. You've been lugging around 10 stone worth of gold in the wilderness. And that's done you really good, hasn't it? The only thing it's done is made you bigger. God's like, let me take that off your hands. We're going to do something with it. Animal skins, <coughs> textiles. And it says then in verse 10, all who are gifted artisans among you then, I want you to come as the Lord has commanded. And I start seeing, it's interesting what God calls an artist here. Carpenters, metal workers, perfumers, seamstresses, and tailors. Can you imagine these are artists in God's eyes? The strangest thing is when God just sees somebody do something well, he calls them an artist. I like that. That would mean that the greatest artist in the world has to be him himself. And I understand why then, Ephesians 1, it says that we are his workmanship. The word is literally masterpiece. Because our the greatest artist of the universe has now taken the time to make you his masterpiece. And I think that's fantastic. Now, interesting. Remember, what was the requirement of the people that were to give? There was one thing, a willing heart. Remember that. So let me ask you quick quiz what was the one thing god was looking for for those that would give a what okay that was was most of you let's try one more time what was it beautiful thank you now listen verse 15 these are the things we're going to make the ark the table the lampstand the incense altar the altar of burnt offering all of the hangings of the garments all of that's going to happen and then it says verse 20 look at what it says and all the congregation of the children of israel departed so that was his whole message to them this is how it starts So Moses pitched the vision. Here's the vision. Here it is. Ready? We're going to make this tabernacle. We've got this furniture to make. We're going to look for some artists. But we need more than artists. We're going to need some materials. Who's quick for the materials? Now, understand, I recognize these are new things for you, and they seem like you've got great wealth, but the bottom line is, is this wealth going to help you at all in the wilderness? And what you find is the wilderness has this great way of shedding stuff you don't need. It's like those of you who have to constantly move because they keep selling the house you rent. Can I just say, my brother says three moves are as good as a fire. Sooner or later, you just have to start pitching everything. Moving to here, we actually took a train crate with us because there were 10 of us that were moving over. We took a grand piano with us. Could you imagine? And over 200 instruments because I'm ridiculous that way. But I guarantee you, if the Lord were to say you need to move to another area whatever, which I have no intent of that, by the way, I think we'd start ditching the instruments because it gets a, it's a lot to carry around the wilderness. No, and it also limits where you can live. So here it is. He goes, look it. We're looking for people that will be willing. That's what we're looking for. Any of you want to come with a willing heart? Now, some of you came here today, and then you came with a hungry heart. Some of you came here today, you came here with a hurting heart. Some of you came here today with a needy heart. But I'm looking for those that have a willing one. That came in to actually listen for the bugle to be blown, to stand up online. Because something's about to happen here. And I'm waiting to see how to kick you into gear. So everybody leaves. He goes, you're dismissed. Verse 21, look at what it says. And everyone came, notice what it says, whose heart was stirred. And everyone whose spirit was willing. And here are the two things. Please hear me. This is where it all, these are the two things that are nitro and glycerin. And when you pour them, boom, something starts to happen. And here it is. The first of them is the stirring. And that, can I just warn you, could be every one of you if you're careful or not. But it's not enough. What stirs your heart? Think about it. Now, there's some things that actually could be really mellow, to be honest, stir your heart. Some good souvlaki. That can really stir your heart. You smell it? Huh? Heart starts to spur. To stir, you know, a little playing of vizuki, heart starts to stir. The smell of that Windex stuff, jerk chicken, <sighs> a little bit of that music from Trinidad with the steel drums, and heart starts to spur. Someone goes, Yaman, something starts to dance inside, starts to dance. It's the sound of a whistle, the smell of grass, the idea that you might go out there and play something. heart starts to stir. It's that movie that you know that halfway through it, someone you really love is going to die slowly, and you're going to cry, and your heart is stirred. (laughs) What is it? Think of those things that stir your heart. On a natural sense first, on a natural plane. Because we all have stirrable hearts. Some, to be honest, it's sin. You're a little lonely, and you know what? She looks from across the room and smiles, and it's like, (coughs) that's what it is. You walk by, and he looks, and then he looks a second time. (coughs) That's what starts to happen. Stirring, by the way, is just revving the engine. It has to engage. Gospel music stirs my spirit. My wife, on the other hand, white praise. <laughs> so I call it white praise. How great is our God. Sing with me. how re- Now, hey, it's cool. It's cool. And it does stir my heart, too. But it doesn't stir my heart like just that... Oh, no. Okay, that that gets me somewhere. So you can imagine our house. It's a zebra house, a zebra house. And you know what? It stirs my heart. That moment, look at. There was a young lady who's been tortured, tortured from just for six years, several times a week by a family member. Still just disabled through it all who this week gave her life to Jesus Christ because someone loved her enough to ask would you like to receive this gift when she turned to us and said yes vroom, vroom, right that's what happens spiritually there are things if you belong to Jesus there are things that should steer your heart or you're in a coma A good message, if done right, could stir your heart, could stir your spirit. But here's the problem: all that I can do up here is rev your engine. Because the only way that thing's going to get into gear is for you to come with a willing spirit, for you to come with a willing heart. Because the willing heart says, "Then let's do something about it." Do you hear the difference? You see, Moses pitched this rousing thing to everyone and they all left. But a smaller group came back. And you know who came back? Those who actually had, their, their, they had it in gear. They were actually, their clutch was dropped and they were willing to drop that baby into gear and get going somewhere with it. Now let me ask you something. What about you? Do you know why I'm here? Because I came with a willing spirit. And the Lord said, no, let's go. I'm like, I I don't even need to know where. Lord, let's just do it. And you know what? Here's the crazy thing, and please hear me. I'm trying to speak as a friend, and I'm trying to be honest and careful here. You can be really, really good with your lies about your disobedience and rebellion, like I could be too, and somehow be convinced that an unwilling spirit is somehow pleasing to God because of these reasons. But an unwilling spirit is no pleasure to God. You say, but I've been at a bad church, but I had a bad experience. You probably did. But, we I mean, think about what they could have said. I have i was in Egypt. I tried all kinds of gods that didn't work out. And God's like, yeah, but they were the wrong ones, weren't they? But what are you going to do now? I've been a slave my whole life. God's like, yeah. And now we're going to walk together. Now you're going to be a son. And the people come back, but the people that come back, they just don't come back to say, give me more information. We're wrapping this around to close it, friends. Everyone came whose heart was stirred and whose spirit was willing. And they brought first the Lord's offering for the work. Notice in verse 22, friends, that both men and women did it. And notice again, it said, as many as had a willing heart. Now listen, that stirring statement was only mentioned there in verse 21. But let me remind you, go back for a second and look at this. Verse 5, God said, take among you an offering from who? Those who have a willing heart. The willing heart was what God was looking for from the beginning. It happened before. Listen, listen, listen. It happened before the heart was stirred. Did you get that? And can I just say, there's going to be the way that I want to challenge you. The same way that it says it here. And that is next Sunday, next Wednesday, next whenever it is you come, come with a willing heart to be stirred for it. Does that make sense? In other words, you showed up, you joined the army. And when you joined the army, you knew you were a soldier. And what happened is you came ready to know when that trumpet was blown, you were going to be called to action. You, that was not a vote. The vote was already cast before this point and you've already said, I'm going to do this when the trumpet's blown. That's just the way it is. So it isn't like the trumpet's blown and then you're like, mm, I'm not really sure. I've seen some bad armies before. And it's like, look at you know the moment when that trumpet was blown, you were going to jump in. That was it. But I can be honest. The whole mega church model thing does not breed that. What the mega church model breeds is let's become spectators, make sure that we're smart enough to yell at other people and argue and criticize everybody who actually is doing the work. That's what I've seen. So we start our little websites to talk about how every person is the Antichrist. By the way, in many cases, people who are preaching the gospel, but somehow they were in a lift with some other guy that was a kook or whatever the case. God's like, look at look at it. When you come back here, come back here with a willing spirit, please. I'm not saying you don't right now, but can I just say this to stir you? Do you have any idea what it's like to be part of anyone's testimony? Do you know what it's like to walk in a room and somehow be sure that when you walk out of that room, it'll be better because you came in, not just because you left? Do you know what it's like to actually be a part of, inadvertently part of, stopping someone's suicide because all you did was what God called you to? And it could have been as simple as a hug, a smile, a who are you, how are you? But that was enough. Do you have any idea what that's like? That you made an eternal change on someone because you brought him Jesus? Do you know what that's like? Can I just say the Lord has that for every one of you? Etched within the etched within the mountains of heaven will be the names of those who just said yes, who came with a yes. That's it. And they came in. What they did? They just gave. That's all they did. They gave. So listen. Number one was this required rest. Remember that? Number two, the sponsors were stirred. That was the second. And then third, notice what it says here. And this is interesting. Verse 25, all the women who were gifted artisans, they started getting to work. Can I say the third is that the gifted are gathered. And when the gifted are gathered, things start to change. Now listen, in the beginning, it was just the mass of people. But from the mass of people, by the way, notice Moses didn't go and send out ads in Gumtree you know, gum Egypt and Gumtree Midian and all of that, you know, or start putting things on the web. What he did is he said, all right, among you, God's going to want to raise up people. That's what he's going to want to do. But first, what he's going to raise up are people that are simply available and able. That's all he's looking for in the beginning. Available for whatever it is that they can do. Able for whatever they're going to do. That's to, be, that's to give whatever they have to offer. But ultimately from that, notice then by this verse, by verse 25, then the gifted start to gather. It goes available to able to gifted. Now a gifted person, by the way, is a person now who actually, you can see a spiritual gifting upon them. They're gifted in certain manners. And we'll see that even with those that can teach. And all of a sudden you start seeing someone go, wow. Now look, at in the beginning of, of an early work like this, what will happen is you're just happy that people are serving in children's ministry, but can I just say we have gifted people in children's ministry. I mean, people that are really gifted to teach children. It's pretty radical. And by the way, the strangest thing, they thank God they get to do it. Is that not awesome? There'll be opportunities for many of you here, by the way, all of you, to be honest. But notice it says, then the women, by the way, notice in verse 26, whose hearts stirred. The willing came looking for a stirring. That's the idea here. Waiting for that bugle to give their time, their efforts, whatever. The rulers led in their giving, by the. they gave ex- the most expensive, the big dollar items, sort of like these stones and such, 27 and 28. And verse 29, it says that the children brought a freewill offering, notice by the way, to the Lord, not to Moses. And it says, all the men and women, notice whose hearts were what? What does the verse say? we're willing. Did you see that word kind of come up again and again and again and again? Okay, look at the last few verses to close this up. We go from the available to able to gifted, but then there's one more beyond that. And he says, now look at the people now, what do we have? Everyone's kind of come and said, you know, the people whose hearts were stirred, but had a willing spirit, right? There were a lot of other people whose hearts were stirred, but they came back and went, yeah, that's really good information. We should think about it, but didn't do anything with it. But then there were those who came willing and said, all right, I'm willing. And they came and they brought. They came and brought their talents. They brought their time. They brought their resources. And they said, let's do something now. And then in verse 30, we go from the available, able to gifted. And then there's one more beyond it. Verse 30, it says, And Moses said to the children of Israel, See now, the Lord has called by name Bezalel. Now, it's interesting. The guy's name, I kind of like this. It, for what it's worth, means in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, there's something kind of really cool about that to me because it isn't in the light of the Almighty, But in the shadow, which means to be honest, he's not even second fiddle. He's actually playing behind someone else. He is just willing to come behind something else just to be a part of it, and he is going to and he's gonna work. And it says here with this particular guy I noticed four really quick things about it. He's called by name in verse thirty. That's the first. It's a very specific calling. Second, it says, then he's filled them, in verse 31, with the Spirit of God. He is spirit-filled. Third, then it says he's put in his heart, verse 34. The word is like Nathan, Natania, and the word means to be gifted, literally. And he's also brought in some help with him, a guy named Aholiab. Notice that in verse 34. I think that, guy's, that guy was born to do this, because the guy's name means my father's tent. Is that not a great name for a guy that's going to build a tabernacle? For what it's worth. And then lastly, in verse 35, it says he's filled them with skill. This guy was, sp- was called specifically, he was called, he was spirit-filled, he was specifically endowed, and he was also skilled. And this is the way it would happen. See, look, at, it comes with this. And within a fellowship, there are going to be those, we're all coming in and we're like, okay, whatever, is this too long or whatever, I'm done. And I am done now. But with that, we're going to come in with some kind of attitude. But those that come in with a willing spirit are like, you know what, I do want to do something. But some of us will be convinced whatever we do will be too small, and so it's insignificant, so why do it at all? Can I just challenge you? Try it. Whatever it is, be it however significant, be it whatever the two minus of your time, effort, resources, whatever it is, just become willing and watch what God does with it. That's all I have to say. Don't tell God that what he's given you is too little, so you're not going to do anything with it. Think about how that sounds. But with that, then, the Lord brings in those that are available. And then he shows those that are able as it starts to rise. And as he shows those that are able, you'll start to see those that are gifted. And among those that are gifted, ultimately you'll see those that are called. Can I say, I am called to London to serve you. And I'm so thankful. You can make that decision yourself. I've made up my mind. And some of you, you'll find your call elsewhere. Some of you will find your call here. My blessing would be just for you to discover your calling. What you'll find is it'll be specific. It'll be to your name. He says, and by the way, and I called one of the guys over there, one of those guys. He just said, look at this guy by name. I called him to this specific place for this specific work with this specific talent, with this specific giftings. I've personally given them and I filled them with my spirit to do it my way. I'm like, hallelujah. So let me ask you as we go to prayer Christians, is there any revving at all? When you walk out those doors, Do you want to see change? Do you want to see Jesus glorified? Is that what you want to see? Because I do. And I would just, my prayer is that we will not blow out our transmission by revving our engine, but never putting it in gear. My prayer is that next week we would come with a revved engine, but also with a willing spirit, with a gearbox that's well-oiled and greased, with a clutch that's dropped, ready to kick the thing and boom, and off we go. Because what's strange is the moment you say, I do to God, God is more than happy to take you to places beyond your wildest imagination. But that's your choice. But lastly, I go back to that original question, have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? Have you? I mean, I'm going to ask you: Have you gone to church? Have you memorized something? Have you done a class? Have you gotten a certificate? Have you, whatever? Have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, death on the cross for you, and resurrection three days later? Have you accepted that gift? Because I'm going to give you the choice to say yes today. And can I say for that, my heart is revving. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful word. I thank you so much for what you're doing here. I thank you so much, Lord, for the way you've stirred my heart again. And Lord, as I just think about how my wife and I, we just sit there and we, we hold hands and we pray and we think of, of our saints, these, these, ble- these blessed and blessed brothers and sisters we love so much and our hearts get stirred and they just begin to whir because we just, we just can't help it as we think of what you're doing in our lives and in their lives and, and the blessing of this time we get. Oh, but Lord, we don't want to become people that are fat and sedentary, where our brains are clogged full of information, but our feet are so weak because they just don't walk it out. We don't want to be foolish people who build our house on the sand. We want to be people, Lord, who genuinely come willing, willing to whatever it is you want to say. But Lord, I pray today, as you've told us that the very rebellious heart is like that of witchcraft, and stubbornness like idolatry. We don't want to mask up or doll up or, or put a facade over our rebellion and our stubbornness and somehow try to make it sound like we're just being mature Christians by doing so. How could we be mature Christians by idolatry and witchcraft? But we really want to come with a willing spirit. And not concerned about whether it will pan out and whether it will work out and whether it will be the most successful thing in the world. Obedience is the thing we are required. The results are yours. But today, Lord, I pray for every brother and sister here and myself included that you just put a go for it in our spirit, a go for it. Do we really have a willing spirit to whatever it is you have to say? And my prayer is, Lord, there will be nothing but a willing spirit when we see you no matter what the situation is, Lord, yes. If you say go, I'll go. If you say I'll I'll stay. Lord, if you say do, I'll do. Lord, and I just know you want to do it through me anyway, so I just want to tell you I surrender to you. And Lord, I just pray today as well If there be any or many who have not said yes to the gift of Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. Today would be the day they say yes. And if that's you, and you know today that you need to say yes to Jesus, You may have played all kinds of religious games, but without accepting the gift of Jesus, you're still stuck in a place today where you are desperately in need of salvation. But today, the Lord would like to change that. And here's a prayer I ask you to listen. And if you agree at the end, I ask you to say a simple and resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here it is. Jesus, I confess to you I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I'm guilty in my sin. But you loved me so much you died on a cross to pay for all my sins so that all of my crimes could be punished. Father, you so loved me you sent Jesus to die for me because (coughs) your love for me transcended, Lord, my guiltiness, my guilt, my shame, and even the fact that in my heart I was your enemy. But Jesus, you died on the cross for me. And you rose again to offer me a brand new life. One reconciled to you with you as my Lord. And for that I say yes. I say yes to you as my Lord. Yes to you as my Savior. Have me now begin this beautiful journey. And I know that it begins with that willing spirit to just say yes. May I be an example now for the rest of my life as one who lives with a yes toward you. in all. So here I am, I'm yours. I surrender. Jesus in your name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.